0: So once again, welcome everyone. Tonight, um, and I want to acknowledge that there's, I think there's a number of people who uh, have just been here for the, or coming for the first time to this meditation group or maybe have just been here once or twice. Um, and in light of that, I want to say that, I just want to acknowledge, we're starting on the deep end of the pool tonight rather than the shallow ends. <laughs> so if everything I say doesn't make sense, that means you're probably in good company. Um, But i think this is a really important uh teaching both for uh really for buddhist meditation and and really how we relate to our lives and relate to um uh, the difficulties in our lives so hopefully i'm going to be able to make some connections here we'll see how it goes maybe i won't and what i want to share with you uh, about is this uh, teaching on emptiness so in buddhism uh, uh, the teachings on emptiness are uh, found uh, almost throughout Buddhism, from early Buddhism all the way to um, when you find like Zen Buddhism, Japanese Buddhism, it's a it's a central teaching, but it is it is the most misunderstood teaching, but it's so, it's so essential. So what I'm going to attempt to do is to give you a beginning taste of emptiness, and there's so many different facets of it. So hopefully we'll come back to this again and again, and get a sense of how it fits. And it is it's 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 supposed to be useful so for example this uh, great uh, buddhist philosopher named nagarjuna he said everything is useful when emptiness is made use of and nothing is useful when emptiness is not made use of so he's saying there's something essential about emptiness so how do we understand it and, and the way I'd like to begin is by pointing out that this word emptiness it's not really a noun it's more like an adjective it's it's describing a, an attribute that everything has and in particular and, and in some ways I, I i when i when I reflect on this I think the Buddha used a really bad word for this <laughs> <laughs> and now for like twenty five hundred years there's people like <laughs> me that have to explain it when you know maybe he could have he found a little bit better word so really what it means is that Everything, every moment of experience, it, um, or even like, let's start with the pine cone. This pine cone, it's called, it lacks a kind of independent existence or inherent existence. So how do we understand that? So one way of understanding that is that it's, it, it lacks an inherent ex, existence in the sense that it's impermanent, right? It's here now, but probably in a few years it will, have dis, will disintegrate and it will no longer be here. So there's no, there's no thingness in here that lasts. It's something that's in process. This is in process right now. It's, it's something that is, has grown and now it's probably starting to decay. And already, hopefully you're starting to get a sense of why emptiness is important, because a lot of times the way I see this pine cone is that it's just a thing. That's what it looks like, it looks like a thing. But actually what I'm seeing is a process. It's something that's always changing moment after moment after moment after moment. And yet, I don't relate to the world like that. I don't relate to the world as if there's all these processes. Usually how my mind relates to the world is this, there's all these things. So emptiness is basically saying, this, this right here, it's not a thing. There's nothing solid or fixed in the middle of it. So it's an attribute in some kind of manner. So let's, let's take this a little bit Further, so of how um, uh, how we can see that this is uh, not only in process, but the way we see it, the way we kind of conceptualize it, is just a concept. And we do this a lot. Like if if I were to bring another pine cone here, this is one I just found. It's a little smushed. <laughs> now we can see that this pine cone looks like it's a small pine cone, doesn't it? Mm. But it's only a small co- pine cone because it's 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 in relationship. It's actually, when I say this is a small pine cone, I'm actually naming a relationship rather than some kind of attribute of this thing here. But a lot of times that's how we describe things, like we describe ourselves in some kind of, kind of way. I'm tall or short. But actually those mm-hmm. attributes that we give ourselves a lot of times is in relation to something else because it looks like a small pine cone. But it's tricky because... Now it looks like a big pine cone, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so also, often what I'm seeing is relationship. I'm seeing not a thing, but a relationship. So this is another aspect of of um, emptiness, is that there's no, no separate fixed things. And that really what we see here is really a, a bunch of conditions that have come together to create this so really in here is you could say the sun and water and a tree and all of those conditions have given rise to this condition and if there weren't those other conditions this wouldn't here so it's it's it, it interdependently arises it's not a thing in itself so it's empty of, of fixedness of thingness and of course you can probably understand this that this is something impermanent. It changes, it's a process. But your mind might be, be like my mind. I don't really see things like that. I see them as fixed things. I don't see them as processes. And not only can we see it at large or small, but then it's the question of really what is a pine cone? Like let's see if I can do this. <clears throat> is this a pine cone here? I mean I just took it from here. Is this a pine cone? What if I took all of these pieces off? Would would that be a pine cone? <laughs> <laughs> like all these pieces here. If I hold all these pieces in my hand, would you say, oh, that's a pine cone? Wow, that looks like you have a pine cone in your hand. You probably wouldn't say that. But when does this stop? When does it start being a pine cone? And when does it stop being a pine cone? Like how many of these... Do I have to take off before it ends being a pinecone? <laughs> right, as if, and is, is there some, <coughs> some deity out there that's determining that, that's going to tell us at some point? So again, there's this arbitrary idea that this is something that we call pinecone. But we can't find it anywhere. Where's the pineconeness in there? If this isn't the pinecone, this piece, then maybe this piece isn't the pinecone. And this piece down here isn't the pine cone, so where's the pine cone? So this is another aspect of, of emptiness. So what other piece? And then, then we're going to try to relate it to your life, hopefully, so this isn't some, like, <laughs> weird... Answer. Okay, I can't just learn meditation, and there's this, like, weird thing about pine cones that they were talking about the entire time. What's up with that? Okay, so it's going to get a little more confusing, but we're going we're gonna to get through it, I promise. So this comes from um, early Buddhism, these, these discourses of the Buddha, of the historical Buddha, or close to the historical Buddha. And the Buddha is talking to one of his monks, Kachayana, and he says this interesting thing. He says, by and large, Kachayana, the world is supported by a polarity, that of existence and non-existence. But when one sees, when a person sees the arising of experience or the origination of experience as it actually is with wisdom, non-existence with reference to, to our experience does not occur to one. And when one sees the cessation of experience as it actually is with wisdom, existence with reference to the world does not occur to one. So what does this mean? So well and then one other thing. And then he and then he, he continues and then he kind of gives a synopsis of this and he says, Everything exists. That is one extreme. Everything does not exist, that is another extreme. Avoiding these two extremes, the Buddha teaches the Dharma or his teaching via the middle way. So how is existence and not existence extremes. And it really fits into what we were just looking at. Now, it would be foolish of me to say that the pine cone doesn't exist, because I'm holding it here and you can see it. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense, right, to say that this doesn't exist, because it exists somehow, or it's here somehow. But I also can't say that it exists, because I just just, I just pulled it apart, and we can't find pine coneness. Like both of those, those concepts in terms of how it's being used here don't completely fit. And then he gives this, this difference of if I see that this is an arising, this is an arising that happens. This probably happened this year from a tree. It arose. And, then, and since it's an arising, I can't, say, I, I can't say that there's no non-existence. And since it will cease... At some point, I, I actually, since it arose, I can't say that there's, um, I can't get um, deny existence. And since it will cease, I cannot deny non-existence. To see that this, when I say process, it's, it's avoiding these two extremes of saying that the world <clears> is fixed or the world doesn't exist. So when he uses the wor- word exist, it means this fixed quality, this solid quality. The important question is: Is um, who really cares? <laughs> what does this have to do with my life? What does it have to do with my freedom? R- remember, this this path is about um, uh, coming to the end of my suffering, to have le- at least less suffering in, in my life and more sup- and more freedom in my life. How does how does all this like weird stuff have to do with with that? And. The, the notion is is that when we meditate what begins to happen is i begin to see experience clearly and i start to wipe away the delusions that i come to relate to the world with and when i'm not as deluded and i see things clearly there's more freedom in my life so let me give some examples of this So for example, have you ever gotten like a text or an email from somebody? And then you respond to that person and you write an email back or you text them back. And then you don't hear from them for a few hours, a few days, a week. And have you noticed when you don't hear from them the stories that your mind creates? Mm. Am I I the only one that has that kind of mind? (laughs) Oh, and, and those stories can be so compelling. Like, sometimes when somebody doesn't write me back, especially if it's somebody you know, it's like, you know. They're so p- they're being so passive-aggressive, I can totally feel it. It's <laughs> like, I hate when they do that. And it's just because I said that when we went out to coffee. And now they're holding <laughs> it against me. I have no idea how I'm going to navigate this, because, because I know they don't like talking about this stuff, but I know that's what it's about. You ever have a story like that? <laughs> Now, we wouldn't want to say that that story doesn't exist, because there it is, and I feel the impact of that. But I sure wouldn't want to say that it exists and it's true. Mm. It's kind of both. It's kind of in this in-between space. And somehow, Mm. with meditation practice, I learn how to hold both. And so how do I do that in terms of meditation in my life? So when a story comes up like that, I have to say to myself, oh it's here, here's this story, here it is. I need to be mindful of this, I need to notice that there's a story coming up in my experience. But at the same time that I see that it's here and I want to be present with it, I know that that it's most likely not accurate. It's here, but probably not true. Here it is, but it's not true. And so much of this practice is just that. To notice what arises, but not to necessarily believe it. Because that's the hook. When I've solidified something, it's like I've solidified the pine cone. I don't see that it's a process. I don't see that it's just a mirror arising. And then I'm bummed out. And then I have a, a conversation with somebody assuming something and probably create more harm rather than less harm you ever do this? Is this starting to make sense? It's so it's so helpful for me to remember that one of the attributes of every single thought that arises in this mind is that it's empty. It's not as real as I think it is. Every single thought. Cuz a thought's so ephemeral. It arises. <laughs> it's like born of something just like this is born of a tree and then it then it disappears. It is a process. And have you noticed how real your thoughts can feel? Or how real an emotion can feel? An emotion is there and I wanna be with it and I wanna honor it and feel into it. But I don't wanna make it more real than it actually is. And we do this with all kinds of of things. You know, this is in some ways is the, the surface of this. No, just when you think of politics, when you think if someone's a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or part of the Green Party or the Tea Party. And if you noticed, when you have that idea of someone, then it feels like you know them. Hmm. And sometimes, it's depending upon where we are in terms of the political spectrum, we know them as like, oh, they're a good person. Yeah, (laughs) totally. I'm so glad they're that way. Or if they're of a party that we don't like, it's like, oh, makes so much sense. (laughs) And there it is. I'm making something more solid than it is. And then what's happened is I've separated from that person. Even people that I'm close to, sometimes it feels like, you know, that if someone's part of my tribe, I still don't see them. Because I assume they're just like me sometimes. And then I miss that because I don't see the empty nature of a human being, that a human being is a process, that I'm a process. And once I fix that, I usually end up suffering and another person ends up suffering. Do you hear how essential emptiness is in terms of starting to understand how to navigate our lives? that I open up the possibility of really feeling into my experience, being aware of my experience, but not necessarily believing all of it to be, to be absolutely true. And this is really important for emotions, because a lot of times what I'm not saying is if you're feeling angry or sad, it doesn't mean that there's validity to that emotion. There could be a lot of validity to that emotion. But what helps me navigate that emotion is to notice that it's something that's a process rather than something that's fixed. So it's, this, this is not about disregarding my experience. It's about seeing it, its real nature because we're here really to touch into our experience in some kind of manner. And a lot of... Uh, meditation is just beginning to cut through some of this stuff. For example, I remember I was leading a retreat in Colorado and it was just a weekend retreat and on the first day of the retreat somebody was sharing how tired they felt. you know, And they were really looking forward to this retreat. They'd really marked out this weekend to do this meditation retreat. And they were bummed out, you know, because they, here they are, they're on a retreat and all they're doing is falling asleep. And then there was the turn. You could say it was the turn to see the empty nature of that where they noticed, oh, oh interesting, this is just a feeling of tiredness. I can feel into this. Oh, and what's the extra? What's, the, what's the, the solidification of it? That it's ruining my retreat. That this shouldn't be happening. That somehow this has more meaning than it really does. It's just tiredness. That's all it is. Tiredness doesn't mean my life is ruined. It just means I'm tired. And have you noticed that, especially around emotions, sometimes? Sometimes we can feel sad and it's like, when I feel sad, my life is ruined. No, no you just feel sad. <laughs> but, but have you noticed how your mind can take the extra step of solidifying that in some kind of manner? You know, another example of this is, um, this fits in with a plug for we we have a a movie night, Saturday night, it's going to be, we we call it Dharma and Diversity, or Dharma and Diversity Movie Nights, where we're looking at this spiritual path, but also looking at issues of diversity and and really exploring that. And the movie that we're going to be watching Saturday night is called uh, Race, the Power of an Illusion. And race is such a perfect example of this, of both of these (coughs) things. So hopefully, many of you know, race is just something that's been constructed. And really, when it started to get really constructed, it, a lot of people believe is around this incident that happened um, in the late 17th century uh, called Bacon's Rebellion, where what happened was a lot of indentured servants, both, both white and black, got together to um, really uh, 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 engender this, this rebellion against those who were in power. And those who were in power thought to themselves, well, if we don't don't want that to happen again, we should really divide up those indentured service. Many of those were also uh, enslaved, but we want to divide them up. And so what they started to do is they started to divide up between those who were white and those who were black. And so you started to see in the beginning of the 17th century the emergence of the idea of whiteness. And it was utilized, it was utilized to distinguish then what could happen is then anyone with black skin can be seen as a slave. And then those, those, um, that combination of poor working folk and black folk, you can divide up so that they're not as empowered. And then what happens over the really hundreds of years is this reinforcement of race to the point of, you know, good old Agassiz, who we have a mountain named after really had this belief that somehow blacks were so different than whites in terms of intelligence and things like that. But that was just, that was just uh, belief. That was just created. And so we see something that is such a construct th- that is empty. It's just skin color. It's, it's nothing more than that. And yet we have these, th- this, this illusory thing of race has now had severe impact on our country. So what's been so important for me, this exploration, is to be aware of race, be aware of that construct and how it plays out in our country, yet at the, also at the same time knowing that it's empty. And both are so important. If I say race doesn't exist in this country, that this country isn't racialized, that's, that's a lot of delusion. <laughs> if, if I say that race is somehow fixed and has these really like fixed genetic components, Then that's also delusion. It both doesn't fit into exist and not exist. And when I see that, I can be in the world in a different way. Trying to think if I want to. Maybe we'll just keep it at that. And then what I'm going to do is uh, we'll uh, tie it into our meditation. So what I invite you to do is just to take some time. Maybe you want to stand up and stretch your legs and move around. And then we're going to move in and see if we can uh, blend some of this into our sitting meditation. I'll guide us into that. So feel free though, to kind of move your body since we're going to be sitting for uh, about 40 minutes. And hey, Nellie, can you crack that door open just a teeny bit more? That's great. So what I'm going to invite you to do tonight, I'm going to invite you to do this around some particular experiences, to to explore this, just in a very simple way. So in just a few minutes I'll lead us in by paying attention to the feeling of our breathing. And as you're feeling your breathing, I just want you to, to begin to sense how the feeling of the breath, this process, it's a process that's always changing, is such a different world than the thought, I am breathing. Because I am breathing, every single moment I say that, is the same three words. I am breathing. I am breathing. But actually, every moment of the breath is really quite different. So what I can see is that the process of breath is something, is something more fluid and alive than that concept. And this is getting a sense of emptiness. That, that, that This is more about flow and process rather than a thing. The breath isn't a thing. It's a process. And you can feel that and be with that. So we'll, we'll get a sense of that. And then, as we continue, probably what's going to happen is some thought is going to arise in your mind. Can you notice it just as a thought? That it's just a thought, whatever it is. You know, if you have some thought about the future, it's just a construction. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? If it's thought about the past, it's still a construction in terms of what the mind is remembered about the past. I mean, every moment is so infinite in variety, and can you see it as that? Because often what I notice about the thinking, especially when I'm sitting here, I'm sitting in meditation, and then I get lost in thought about what I'm gonna do tomorrow, it feels so real. It feels so solid, like, this is really important for me to do right now, (laughs) to figure out my day tomorrow, or to figure out what I'm gonna say to my boss or my coworker, and there can be something freeing of being like, oh, interesting, the mind is thinking, it's just a thought. And there might be a little bit of a lightness because then it's, it's, it's seen that it's not as solid as we might be making that to be. Does this make sense? I want us to see if there's any questions about this or if it's totally confusing. A little bit of sense? Sort of, kind of? Okay. <laughs> maybe you're just being nice and modding your head. <laughs> 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 or maybe, like, you get it. Yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, let's, begin, let's begin to meditate together. <coughs> So I invite you to um, either close your eyes or look down at the ground.